Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's, or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon, or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. This being a relatively slow period in the NBA calendar allows me to slow play and deep dive into a subject I mentioned a few episodes ago. The league's decision to pick an entirely new top 75 players of all time in conjunction with the league's 75th anniversary celebration this season. They've been a bit vague on who will be on the selection panel or even if they've selected it. I would hope that they already have the panel identified, even if that means I'm not going to be on it because this is not a trifling matter. We're talking about legacies here. Players' life work. So, while fans and media may indiscriminately or offhandedly crown someone as a GOAT or dismiss them as overrated or not Hall of Fame worthy, I was reminded of how much this means to the players themselves when I spoke on the phone earlier with a member of the 50 greatest all-time list, Rick Barry. Now, if you know Rick, He's passionate about everything, particularly anything remotely connected with the game of basketball. I wanted to talk to Rick because I know, one, he has no danger of being left off the top 75. When we talk about guys who could have played in any era, Rick Barry is one of them. I don't know how we got on the subject of lockdown defenders, but Rick recounted a conversation he had with George Iceman Gervin another all-time 50 member, about whether or not he could remember playing against a lockdown defender. 
the phrase or term lockdown defender clearly bothered Rick. And it was a joke of a question to Iceman because, as Rick noted, while you might be able to lock down a shooter, there was no way to lock down a scorer. And both Rick and Iceman were, without a doubt, scorers. By the way, just as an aside, one of the great all-time posters, player posters, is George Gervin sitting on blocks of ice. That one, that image still sits in my head. If you haven't seen it, find it and let me know if you agree. Now, for those who may not understand what the distinction is between a shooter and a scorer or why Rick would say it, uh, those who do, please bear with me for just a moment. If a player is merely a great shooter, it is feasible to crowd him or her and deny them the ball or contest their shot well enough to prompt them to shoot well below their average. Shooters are the guys that average 15 to 20 points during the regular season and shoot a nice percentage, but get them in the playoffs and suddenly a team's ability to focus in on what they can and can't do and forcing them toward the latter affects their production in a major way. Duncan Robinson, for example, or Tyler Hero. They're shooters right now, Duncan in particular. Steph Curry, when he first came into the league, was more shooter than scorer. It's why the Warriors couldn't make the playoffs and why his first taste of the playoffs wasn't particularly impressive. He had the ability to finish at the rim and, well, he had to develop the ability to finish at the rim and a mid-range arsenal. Now, he could always shoot from any of those distances. Don't get me wrong here. But he had to learn how to score from all those distances or get to the free throw line when the defense was too smothering. He learned how to do that. If you look at his first playoff run and subsequent ones, distinct difference in his ability to get to the free throw line. And that's part of being a scorer as well. It's never, this just ain't my day, I'm going to let somebody else carry the load mentality. It's learning how to manufacture points. Maybe the greatest example I can give is the 2010 NBA Finals. Game 7, Celtics versus Lakers. Kobe could not get a shot to go down. He would finish 6 for 24, 0 for 6 on threes. If ever there was a game that someone might have the inclination to say, hey, Pau Gasol, can you take over? Or Meta World Peace, can you get us some buckets? Lamar Odom, Derek Fisher, can you guys knock down some shots for us? But in a game seven, a scorer would never abdicate that responsibility. Anyone who would suggest that's selfish or not playing the right way, and I'm using air quotes on that, truly does not understand the pro game. When you take the majority of shots all season long, when you are paid top dollar, when you get all the endorsements and the advertising and your face is on the cover of the magazine, when you have plays run for you and you carry the 
honor of having the ball in your hands at the end of games all year long, you don't look to someone to take over when your shot is not falling. You find other ways to put points on the board. That is your job. Now, if you are not confident that you can be the closer on a championship team, then it's probably best that you do share that load during the season, that you find a way to be a playmaker rather than a straight-up assassin. Because then, at least your team is prepared for you to make the right basketball play when the game gets hard. They're not going to expect you to be a scorer. Now, I've heard people claim that Kobe was terrible in that game because they looked at the first part of the box score. They looked at the way he shot. That Gasol was the one who actually brought it home. That's not a, there's not a chance of that being true. Now, Powell contributed, no doubt about it. But he wanted no part of having the weight of bringing it home. It was one of the most assertive games I've seen him play. He wound up out-rebounding both Kevin Garnett and Rasheed Wallace combined. 18 to... Might have been 13 off the top of my head. I know he out-rebounded KG 18 to 3. But he clearly out-rebounded those two, which had to be particularly satisfying because both KG and Sheed always looked at Gasol if he was just some soft Euro big. They always felt like we can intimidate him. And in most games, they did. This Game 7 was an exception. That's why it stood out. But going and cleaning up someone else's misses or not giving in to KG and Sheed, Cleaning up misses and then giving the ball back to Kobe is not the same as cleaning up those misses and finishing off the play. Now, Gasol did get to the free throw line 13 times, but you could tell he felt the pressure of them in such a low-scoring game, making only seven. And because of those misses and because of his rebounds, he actually had far more opportunities to be aggressive and to go back up and continue to get to the free throw line. He didn't. Kobe ended up being the leading scorer with 23 and the second leading rebounder with 15. He and Powell outworked Boston to snare those misses for second chance points, the two combining for 13 offensive rebounds. Kobe took care of the rest by attacking the rim at the end and forcing the Celtics to foul him. He took 15 free throws making 11, including 8 of 9 in the fourth quarter. Final score, 83-79. Kobe's 23 led all scores and represented 27% of the Lakers' points. I interviewed him on the court afterward as the sideline reporter for ESPN Radio, and I'll never forget him saying, is it okay if we sit down? I had never had him ask me that in a post-game interview, but then I had never seen him that exhausted. He had simply willed his way to those 23 points. It wasn't a matter of how he was going to get them. It was simply that he was going to get them. That's a score. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, I spent far more time on that than I expected. And I hope you don't mind the trip down memory lane to make the point. Sitting here now, thinking about my many interactions with Kobe, it's jarring to think both that I had the opportunity to do that and that he is no longer here and I never will again. All this time later, it still hits me. Oh yeah, he's no longer here. I went to his memorial, and while I thought that would provide closure, I now realize it did not. I guess that's an ideal jumping off point for what I really want to begin discussing in this podcast, which is who deserves to be part of the top 75? And I say begin discussing because I foresee this subject taking several episodes to cover the way I'd like, which is to give consideration and thought to every addition and potential subtraction. So, I'm going to start with the low-hanging fruit by choosing the players who are no-brainer additions. The players who, based on what has transpired since the top 50 were chosen in 1996, have to be part of the top 75. Regardless of whether we, we reconfigure the first 50 or we don't or however we go about it, there are certain players that are going to be among the 75 that I dare say would have been among the first 50 if they had been eligible. And there are only three that fit this exact category. In order of seniority, they are Tim Duncan of the San Antonio Spurs, Kobe Bryant of the Los Angeles Lakers, and LeBron James of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Miami Heat, Cleveland Cavaliers, and now Los Angeles Lakers. I'm starting here because, one, this is the easiest part, and I just got started working on this idea. Two, the process is going to demonstrate, even before this episode is over, just how challenging it is going to be to get this right. How it may be darn impossible to get this right. And it's why I suggested that the league abandon this whole idea of picking 75 and instead go by era. Pick the top 15 players for each 15-year stretch of the NBA. And I'm happy to say, when I suggested it to Rick Barry, he was all for it. He thought it was a great idea. We would pick 15 players from 1946 to 1961. The Celtics had already won five titles in that period. So Bill Russell and Tom Sanders and Bob Cousy could all fit in it if need be, along with George Mikan and Bob Pettit. Then we've got 1962 to 1977. The Rick Barry, Jerry West, Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor era. 
That's four names right there. I mean, every one of these in every era, you're going to get to 15 pretty quickly. But nonetheless, you're going to be selecting among guys who competed against each other. We go then to 78 to 93. The Bird, Magic, Jordan, Kareem era. Then 94 to 2009. The Duncan, Kobe, Nash, Shaq. Kevin Garnett, Akeem Olajuwon era. Now, you'd have to wait four more years to pick the last 15. But you'd have your 75, and it wouldn't feel as if you were making impossible comparisons. Like, who is better, Steve Nash or Bob Cousy? Elgin Baylor or Russell Westbrook? Joe Dumars or Clay Thompson? And those are the kind of comparisons you're going to have to make. I didn't just throw names out of a hat. Like Those are guys who were comparable in their respective eras. And yet, how are you going to possibly choose between them? Now, I highly doubt at this late date that the league is going to take my advice. Just as I'm sure some of you are certain there are more contemporary names that are guaranteed to make the misbegotten top 75 list that will be put out this year. There are. But none belong in the category of Duncan, Kobe, and LeBron. None have been the driving force behind as many championships. And were players capable of dominating the game at both ends. And reached Duncan, Kobe, and LeBron's level of sustained excellence. The fourth name... I propose it has to be there on this early first uh, selection is Dominique Wilkins. If anyone wants to make the case that in order to include him, someone from the first top 50 needs to go, I'm willing to consider that. All I know is the oversight of not having him among the top 50 has to be corrected above anything else. The error at the time was including Shaquille O'Neal on the top 50 list. Shaq was only three years into his career. He has obviously earned his place since then. But at the time, it was premature and smacked of wanting to add some sort of marketability to the league's current state at the time. Remember what I said in my first episode discussing the 75th anniversary and the selection of the why they did the first 50 team and why they were doing this one. The 50th anniversary was, anniversary was as much about providing some happy publicity for the league to distract fans from the labor unrest as it was, well, that labor unrest that was mounting between the owners and players as it was simply to celebrate a particular milestone of the league. To my knowledge, there was no 25th anniversary or top 25 players. This was a marketing idea by the great David Stern. Now, when it comes to picking the top 75, this, from this point on, this is where it gets hard. Because what I'm trying to do is make my selections based on my preferred model by selecting from eras. So, I can't jump ahead and add a Steph Curry or a Kevin Durant because then I run the risk of squeezing the 90s era 
because A, Jordan and the Bulls dominated that decade, and B, the statistics weren't as gaudy as they are in today's NBA of 6-6 centers and no contact allowed on defense, at least not until the playoffs. If I start considering Steph and KD, then it also feels as if I'm going to become a prisoner of the moment a little too easily because I'm going to start thinking, well, does Kawhi Leonard deserve to make it versus Westbrook or Giannis versus James Harden? Again, if we're just going like right now, it's easy. We'd probably take Giannis over Harden. We've got to have to take a step back. And to take a step back, we have to consider some of the previous eras and some of the decisions that need to be made. It may, look, it, it makes my brain hurt just to think about it at this point. And that's just current. Consider, say, Allen Iverson versus Kevin Garnett. Again, they both could make the list. But you have to go name by name. You have to put somebody on there first definitively. So if you were weighing between Iverson and Garnett, and they were basically the same era, who are you going with? I'd have to take KG. He has the ring. He has the longer sustained excellence. He had the focus and drive and two-way impact from the very start, dragging average Timberwolves teams to the playoffs year after year. Now, it feels wrong to even think about leaving Iverson off the list because he was such a cultural icon, such a spectacle and trendsetter. But when you start to assess his career against someone like Garnett for pure production, the light on Bubba Chuck dims a bit. We'll ultimately see how much. We've just begun building our potential 75, so we're not there yet. Let's see where we go from here and if or when we have to leave off a name that is going to be excruciating to do so. Just rest assured, there will be. We're going to end up there at some point. But you know what? We're going to do it together. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. In the next episode, may continue with this top 75 examination or may branch off and hit the subject I've been talking about, which is why the NBA has never done uh, the NFL's hard knocks. They've done a version of it, but still haven't gotten the, uh, the insight on why they didn't go beyond and why the show that they created ultimately went away rather quietly. Uh, and whether there's any thought of creating one now that LeBron James has brought it to everyone's attention. That may be the subject where we may continue with this top 75. Or, who knows, something else may happen in the league that garners our attention. So, that will be decided. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.